Uh, Steve, can you move your uh, iPad? It's causing noise to come Oh, through. okay. Thank you. Feedback, uh, okay. got yeah, your headphones if, if you on any, backwards. If you have any computers near the wires, just oh, keep real, them away. Oh, I yeah. see. Okay. Well, how many more problems can you cause? It's just not, sitting, apparently not, en not enough. Sit in front of a microphone. It, um, you just talk. Are you ready? Why do you need that iPad? For questions? Because it's giving me directions on how to get out of here. <laughs> oh. The following yeah. is a Tony Pisano podcast. Pro pro <laughs> where we will prod our interview guest. Uh, podcast and Opie show on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. This is back to you with Howard Sudbury featuring Steve, Steve Baskerville. <laughs> Hello, Steve. I'm so excited. You know why? Why? Podcasts are so in now. Well, I'm glad we're doing a podcast. This is the first one. So yes, that's the great. I'm, that's why I'm that's excited. That's the great thing about it. Are you excited about anything else? Our guest, I know you are. Yes, very yeah. much so. For our guest. Reason. Hey, are you on social media much? No. We got to get you on social no, media because no. it helps promote this show. Yeah, I know and, it does, and your life and you share things. I, there are a lot of things that don't make sense about my behavior uh, as a. Um, so-called public figure. I have never liked uh, being, uh, you know, I love being around people. Love it. I just went to something called Pierogi Fest in Whiting. Yes. I was a grand marshal of the, the parade. King. You're the king. I love Whiting. I love the good time. Uh, you know, from start to finish, it's nothing but people having fun. But, and then along the way, social media stuff going on. You yeah. know, I was on Instagram yeah. and I was on uh you know, Twitter, Facebook, Facebook, all of it. But as far I, I, it's never in my consciousness to want to do it. Yeah, I don't mind being on it with someone else. Well, but. you know what I've gotten into is I like to spar with people on Twitter, and um, here was one I got recently. It said, "Anyone seen the genius from my home?" It didn't say state. It's S T A E. Stay Spudsbury, <laughs> WBBM ex sportscaster. Who once said Phillies at home, batting in ninth, up four to three with seven question marks? Where is he? He has life. He told me so. I like stuff like that. And but then, you never responded I, to it. I I said I that and I wondered what, why you wouldn't answer me. I responded to otherwise. <laughs> what what was it? What but that made no sense to me. I told him this is the last time I'll respond to him. I have a life. See, I, I don't kept, get into it with going. people like so that. So I like to get into it. I think it's kind of fun. It's entertaining if you have no life. Which I, I mean, don't. hey, okay. Guess what? Yeah. Let's go to our guest. He's ready. Is he ready? No. Uh, I think he needs yeah. us to wait about 10 minutes. He's he been dealing with AT&T since oh. 2 o'clock in the morning. You are building this anticipation He's, for me. Sorry. He's, I was just about to text Tony that. Uh, so. Well, okay. all right. Tom Dreesen is our guest. Yes. Comedian Tom Dreesen, fantastic career, local local guy from Harvey, Illinois, and we will talk to him in a couple of minutes. But um, anyway, get on get on social media. You don't have to spar with people. I'm not. You can just uh, post, I, okay, post things very, about the show. Uh, yeah. You know that's the, you need you need to live, as Mike Ditka said, the past is for the cow cowards and losers. He means living in the past, but. It's okay to reminisce, but you need to live in the, in the, in the, in the current, like in the now, you know? 
Because you're reti- I'm here you're right re- now. I'm talking to you right I, now. I, this I is know a hologram or anything. I know you're retired. And, yeah. And no, I was like that before I retired. Were you? I'm just not a, a big social media person. Hey, we've That's talked about me, this, though. but tell me about this retirement thing. Do yeah. you, like, uh, are there days where you, like, will get up, like, at 1130 in the morning? Yeah, sure. Really? Yeah. You'll well, sleep till? Well, I'll stay up till 3. Oh, yeah. yeah. I mean, I'm oh. not going to bed at 9 and getting up at 1130 the next day. <laughs> I'm not at that point yet. And are no, there... I don't feel that different. I don't, you know, well, look, I'm sitting here now in front of a microphone. This doesn't feel very retired. <laughs> I was in Whiting for a parade and was on television a, a couple times at CBS. That didn't feel retired. I mean, once in a while, I do things and... and uh, it makes it uh, feel like I'm still performing. And I like the, the reason why I like the podcast is because it is a performance. And I still do it. We do this relatively regularly. So, we, and, and I enjoy it. Yeah. We, and by the way, I can't see CBS. I, I was on there and couldn't, I can't even see it. I'm one of those people that can't get it now. You're one of the people. Direct TV has dropped the, CBS. Like, like the 12 people left in Chicago that still has that thing hanging on their roof. And when it rains, you can't get you can't get any TV. No, it doesn't have to I rain. It can you, just get cloudy, and I can't get. I tell that's you, the bad you thing call about me it. and say, "Hey, I, I've got no TV." And I said, "I would crawl up there, and I'd call them, and I'd take it off the roof and throw it in the street." Well, you get that mad sometimes, but but why don't you? Why don't you change? Because you get locked into these terms of uh, you know these agreement oh, terms where you you get your you're a customer for, for a life. year or a period of time, and it's just not worth it to do that. You reminded me of something, and I can't. Oh, there's an you old joke. You know, it's an old joke that uh, uh, do Tom, the, Tom Snyder once Do the said. pre-laugh. Tom Snyder. No, I'm not going to pre-laugh. That's your <laughs> thing you do. Tom Snyder, uh, who oh. was a TV personality, and a lot of folks remember Tom Snyder, yes. said he was somewhere like Milwaukee, and, uh, and the guy, he was shaking hands with folks, and the guy said, huh, we don't get you here. And he said, Really? I'm on all across the country. You don't see us in Milwaukee? And he says, oh, no, we see you. We just don't get you. <laughs> <laughs> sort of like this podcast. I think yeah. there were a lot of people that didn't get <clears throat> Tom Snyder, yeah. the ones that knew him from, from what I know. But it was a popular show. Of course, how could you not be popular when you follow Johnny Carson? Yeah. I mean, Well, see, here's the good. thing. In those days, uh, more so than The Tonight Show right now, I think, Johnny Carson was the man. Yeah. Johnny Carson, The Tonight Show, you appear on there, your career is set, and our guest today was on The Tonight Show, I don't know how many times, but but many, many times, and that I, I, I'm anxious to know whether that established his career, but, you know, The Tonight Show was it. Well, I can't imagine the feeling inside when you perform at a comedy club and The Tonight Show talent person is there and says... Can you come on next Tuesday? I would not sleep between them because that makes or breaks your career. But back to Tom Snyder for a second. You know what I remember most about him? Just smoking cigarettes, just chain smoking on the entire yeah. show. He Talking had, about nothing like this. Yeah, he, he had some CEO, some billionaire uh, on his uh, program at the very start of it, August today. And he gets the guy and he says, so tell me, uh, how, did, how, did you, uh, how did this happen? And he says, well, Tom, I, uh, I grew up, uh, you know, a poor kid. I got a break, and the rest is history. 
he says, well, you know what? I got 58 minutes, and I could, I'd like to hear some of that history. <laughs> Best kind of guest to have. You know, uh, on one of these shows, if people want to go back and, and listen to them, which they should, uh, we did it without a guest. And that was another one where I gave you, like, no material. And we're trying to get, to like, 40, 45 minutes. And it worked out okay. And we still ended up doing, like, 55 <laughs> minutes because yes. we could not stop. Yeah. It was better than okay. Yeah, it was pretty good. It worked out okay. It was okay. a three. <laughs> <laughs> that's a, we're beating that joke a, to hell. Yeah, we are. Because that's what Tony. It's important to surround that. Nobody, and a, people know Tony from his <laughs> podcast. But when I make reference to Tony on this show, they, yeah. they, I when I don't say his last name, they're saying, "What's this Tony guy?" He's texting right now, and I think he's texting Ed, Ed, who has the Radio Misfits Network, and he's like, um, "We gave it eight, nine shots. I just don't <laughs> think it's going to work." No. And we went. And if they we just went prepare. To, and today we turned. We we made them think the mics were on. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we tried to drown them out with construction noise. Um, I wanted to say you you mentioned a saying. You've mentioned sayings quite a few times, and we laugh about origins of sayings. That everybody's heard the sayings, but there there is an origin of where it came from. It could be from hundreds of years ago. But uh, I love to tell stories that you were involved in because I tell them wrong. But one that I really loved, a saying, you Channel 2, and for those of you that are like listening in Bozeman, Montana, or something like that, because this is up in the air, Steve. They can hear us anywhere. So I'd, like might, go, I'd like to go they, to Bozeman, Montana. I would, too. I would, too. I wish you were there That's now. all a part of... <laughs> we'll do the show there sometime. That's all about a but, part of a... Why do I have to be the one to go there? You go to Bozeman. I'll go. <laughs> Tony and I will go. We'll do a show. And you can call in. But anyway, um, Steve was yeah. a weathercaster for 30 years <clears> at Channel 2 until he retired. And I was a sportscaster there, for those that might be in Bozeman. Anyway, you were out... And Channel 2 decided to buy this BMW uh, like uh, SUV and, and soup it all up and wrap it and put Channel 2 all over it. And it was called the Weather Lab. And you always called it the Weather Wagon because <laughs> you thought it was silly to go out into a cornfield and plain field and do uh, the weather from there. <laughs> so you called one night and I said, uh, where are you? Do you remember what you said? No, what did I say? I'm in the weather wagon? You said I'm in the weather wagon. I don't know where the hell I am. I'm out here. You don't <laughs> Look, remember? No, I don't. I'm you subject to say anything, here. Howard. You said I'm out here <laughs> where Johnny lost his shoes. Now, that I find that yeah, hysterical, I love that. I love and that. I don't know where I don't it comes know where, from. where Johnny lost his shoes. I don't know. That's just somewhere where there's not a lot of... Uh, uh, communication with people just somewhere out in the field somewhere uh, you know you reminded me of another one I was in a car when I was a kid uh, and it was a packed car and one of my uncles was in the back seat and uh, they started talking about him up front whoever was driving I can't remember and a couple relatives talking about my uncle that they thought was asleep and he suddenly says in the middle of all these things that they're saying about him he says every shut eye is not sleep Love that. Every shut eye is not That's asleep. really good. That's the uncle I want to sit next to at your daughter's wedding. <laughs> yeah. All right. He'll be there. 
Uh, he'll probably have his eyes shut. <laughs> so don't start talking about it. I probably it. will, too. You know, um, Tom Dreesen is going to be our guest, and I yeah. find it interesting that a big star that lives in Hollywood uh, is waiting for the cable guy, and they give you a window of, like, from noon till 6 p.m. Is and that what's so happening with him now? He's sitting there. Isn't that right? He's uh he's on the phone with the cable company. Oh, he's on the phone with the cable <laughs> company. It. Well, what you're I doing now. I know how now, he feels. I know how he feels. He's getting transferred he from person to person. Oh, you're going to need the uh, fix-it department. Your call is important to us. Yes. Nothing worse than that. Exactly. And you're going to hear music now for the next few minutes, and then the next person you hear will be able to help you. I don't like any of these windows they give you. From 12... Uh, yeah, you're, uh, he'll be there between 12 uh, and 6. Yes. It just blows your whole it's afternoon. Ridiculous. And then, he, of course, he gets there at 5 of 6. Yeah. So you're, you're, you're wasted the whole so afternoon. So why is that? I mean, our time is not valuable to them as a company? Is nah, that what it is? Maybe so, and then maybe it's fun. I'll tell you another thing. Like, if you have a... De- <laughs> you're right. Yeah. yeah. I'm going to go to Steve's house right <laughs> Right at the right, end of the right. window. What was that window we gave? Twelve to six. Let's see, five fifty-five. Yeah, I think I'll get there now. And he'll be sitting out front pacing. That's yeah. another thing that I think is interesting. Is yeah. Steve will not sit in. And this is kind of an old-fashioned thing because everybody used to have porches and they had swings, like on the Andy <laughs> Griffith show. That's going way back, way back. <laughs> wow. Really ages dates us. But you won't what? sit in your front yard, <laughs> no. will you? Well, as maybe that's connected to the whole social media thing. I don't need to be noticed. I mean, I, I mean, I, I'd rather sit in the backyard than the front yard. Yeah. Would you sit in the front yard? No, I'm not going to set a lawn chair up in the middle of my front yard, and when everybody's <laughs> walking their dog by, hey, Howard, how are you doing? <laughs> That It's a humid one today. Look, you got nothing to say. You remember Mike Parker? God bless Mike Parker. He was a terrific guy to work with. Yes. And uh, you hear that? What I just heard? Construction. There's going construction on here. going on uh, here Isn't right that now. Over yet? So that's not ever going to end, is no, it? No, not until you go tell him to stop. I can't now. I'm in the middle of a Mike Parker story. I know a guy. Mike that's... Parker. No, Mike Parker and I. Uh, Mike Parker was was anchoring a, a, the newscast on a Saturday at CBS Two Chicago, and I was doing weather, and we went out <clears throat> to have dinner in between shows, and we got in his car. We had to go about I don't know. Uh, about 15 minutes away, uh, several several blocks away. Sounds like they're making sandwiches right now up there. Yes. Anyway, we get in the car. Mike, for some reason, has to honk his horn at someone who darted out in front, and the horn would not stop. <laughs> and we're riding, and it's womp, womp, womp. Wow. For how long? Now, Mike, anybody knows Mike, too. Mike did, didn't like a whole lot of attention like that. I no. mean, it made it look like here are these two TV guys. Can't get enough attention. <laughs> we're sitting in the so car going, wow. And, and I'm talking to them around Water Tower area. Yes. Down in, I mean, big near Michigan. Womp, 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 womp. And it was like an impromptu parade. And, you know, oh. all we could do was wave. <laughs> and it was so stupid. It was a stupid thing. And we stopped. We stopped. And as Mike's getting madder, it's funnier to me after a while, you know. Because Mike did get a little hot. Yeah, and it was like, hello there. You know, we started waiting. (laughs) (laughs) That's a great story. We stop and we wait for the AAA man. And throughout the wait for the AAA, stopped, parked, right off of Michigan Avenue. Womp, womp, womp. (laughs) Now it becomes a crowd around the car as if we're giving away things. 
That's a great story. I wish it was true. <laughs> hey, Steve, what do you say we take a break? Now? Why not? Okay. We'll be right back on Back to You. Coming up on the next episode of the Car Guys Report, Informed Automotive, it's a special guest talking about the 1958 Buick. I'm Mark Vernon. Join me and my special guest for this story and more on the Car Guys Report, a Tony Lasano podcast and OPI production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Be sure to tune in to Free Kicks with Adam and Rick. Our podcast highlights the best soccer league in the world. The English Premier League. We recap the previous week's games. And preview the upcoming games. I do it from an American point of view. And I do it as an authentic Brit, accent and all. That's authentic, right, Governor? Not exactly how I say it. <laughs> we also talk about the local soccer scene because Adam is the Illinois Youth Director of Coaching. If you love soccer... Football. Football. Tune in to Free Kicks. New episodes drop weekly. On the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. We are back and back to you. And Steve, where are we coming from? We're coming from Mars. The Museum <laughs> of Broadcast Communications. Oh, that's where it is. We have our guest on the, we do. Uh, on the line right now. Yeah. And he is Tom Dreesen. And we're thrilled that he joins us here on Back to You. Tom, how are you? I'm doing terrific. Uh, except for one thing. My phone crashed. My cell phone crashed. It's frozen. I had to send in for a new one. I went to four Apple stores last week. They finally convinced me to send in for a new one. I sent in for a new one, and it got, took two days to get here. And then it took them two and a half hours to, to, with the support system to get it on and activated. And now a week later, it froze on me again. I was up last night till 2 o'clock in the morning with the support people and up early this morning still, and they can't. there's something wrong with my cell phone, and now it's affecting my computer. And to top all that off, um, the last time I was in Chicago, these two idiots were honking. I was standing on a corner by water tower, and these idiots were honking and honking. A couple of TV guys you know, yes. trying to get attention. You know. Yes, that's the way it works. Um, well, you're a, you're a big star, so I would think that you would have people that would say, uh, Hey, uh, Henry, I need you to run down and get my iPhone fixed. I have to tell you this. If you think I'm a big star, then I'm really concerned about your mental health <laughs> and, you, and that you haven't gotten out of the house in a long time. Uh, but I, I appreciate your, your, your remark. I always say this. Whenever somebody says something to me, and they don't say it that often, by the way, that, you know, oh, you're a star. I say, no, I toured with a star. I really know what a star is, and I'm nowhere near that. You know, I, Out here in Hollywood... Uh, some girl gets off the bus and they get her on a sitcom and two weeks later she's in the red carpet and they're calling her a star. Yeah, right, exactly. And, and you know what I'm saying? And that, so when I came out to Hollywood, Gregory Peck was a star. Kirk Douglas was a star. You know, Frank Sinatra was a star. Uh, those were stars. Today, you know, somebody who's on, like I say, on a sitcom for three weeks is now considered a star. But, like uh, but they may not last. They may not last like you guys last. That's the thing. I mean, your experience, the, what you've been around, you talked about Frank Sinatra. Man, that's the ultimate performer. I mean, that, that, there's nobody that was ever better uh, at captivating an audience and, and, and just to be around. How did that whole thing start with you being a part of that Sinatra journey? Well, it started from being glib at the right time. I, I had, you know, I, to, for the people listening so they know, uh, this is my 50th year in show business. Uh, in September 1969, I went on stage for the very first time with Tim Reed. We were America's first black and white comedy team. History shows we were the last. 
We wrote a book about our six-year journey as a stand-up comedy team working in the North and the South before there were ever comedy clubs, working what they call the Chitlin Circuit, mm-hmm. black-owned, black-operated nightclubs. And we worked, you know, all over, all, all black clubs where I'd be the only white guy. And then we worked the Playboy Circuit and stuff where white clubs where Tim would be the only black guy. And we paid dues like no other comedy team ever had to pay before. And it's all written up in a book called Tim and Tom, an American Comedy in Black and White. And from there, the team split up. Right now, we're, I have a meeting today on a movie that we may be doing or even a series of, of about Tim and Tom. So we're meeting with the producers today, Tim Reed and I are. And uh, but you know, so when the team split up after six years, I ended up on the West Coast uh, out here trying to get on at the comedy store because that was the place to go in America at that time. Wherever you went in 1975, and people say, "What do you do for a living?" They say, "Well, I'm a stand-up comedian." The next question out of their mouth was, "Oh yeah, have you ever been on Johnny Carson?" Mm-hmm. If you had been on Johnny Carson in the eyes of America, you just weren't a comedian. You might want to be one or going to be one, but in America, you weren't a comedian until you appeared on that show. And there were other, a lot of other shows at that time, you know, but that was the show that launched. Johnny Carson left New York in 1972 to come out here to the West Coast. And all of a sudden, one appearance on The Tonight Show for a comedian and your whole life changed. I did one appearance, and I mean, Freddie Prince did one appearance, and um, he got a sitcom the following day. I did one appearance, and the next day CBS signed me to a development deal. A man named Lee Curlin uh, was watching in New York the night I was on. And so that, that changed my life. I paid all my dues at the comedy store, finally got on regular times, and finally got people to come and see me. And now Sammy Davis Jr. saw me, and he took me on the road with him for three years. I'm touring with him all over the country and doing Dinosaur, Merv Griffin, Mike Douglas, Johnny Carson, Midnight Special, Rock Concert, Soul Train. I'm the only white comedian ever to appear on Soul Train. You know, I was on my way doing all these shows, working all these people. Then I started touring with Smokey Robinson and... Uh, around the country, but we're working at Caesars in Lake Tahoe, and Sinatra's appearing next door. And I, you know, finished my show one night and didn't even change my stage clothing, and I rushed over to Harris Hotel, where I had worked many times with Sammy, and uh, so that Maitre D knew me, and I was rushing into the showroom because I wanted to catch Frank's act. I was a big fan, of course. And uh, the vice president of Harris Hotel, a man named Holmes Hendrickson, was standing out in front of the showroom with another big guy with a cigar. And when I was running in, Holmes Hendrickson said to me, Tommy, come here. And I reluctantly went over because I didn't want to miss Frank's opening. Frank Sinatra created more excitement walking out on stage, <laughs> going toward the microphone than most people do with their whole act. It was just amazing always to see him enter a stage and how the audience reacted to him. You know, So I didn't want to miss that. So sure. I'm rushing in. And anyhow, I go over and Holmes Hendrickson said, Tom, this is Mickey Rudin. Well, that was Sinatra's lawyer. I recognized the name. He's a very powerful guy in our industry. So he said, Mickey, this is Tom Dreesen. I think Tom would make a great opening act for Frank Sinatra. And the lawyer got a pained expression on his face like he heard this a million times. And he winked at the vice president, but I caught the wink. Uh-huh. And he said, hey, kid, if I gave you a week with Frank, would you want more than uh, 50000 I said, Mr. Rudin, put it this way. If you gave me a week with Frank, would you want more than 50000 <laughs> He said, I like this kid. And he started <laughs> laughing, you know. And then a week later, they called me to do one week with Frank at the Golden Nugget in Atlantic City. And I was excited. I said, I'll go and I'll get my picture taken and hang in every bar back in Chicago, you know, and, uh, and with Frank. But the second night I was with him, he and his wife took me out to dinner. And he said, 
uh, and I can remember like it was yesterday, he set his knife and his fork down in the middle of the meal, and he said, I like your material, and I like your style. I'd like you to do a few other dates with me if you're interested. And I didn't say, let me check my calendar. <laughs> <laughs> I said, yeah, of course, and it turned into 14 years, 45, 50 cities a year, uh, a friendship that I, that I, I miss to this day, um, staying in his home six times a year, flying in his private jet, all over the all over the world, you know, squad cars and limousines rushing you to arena, twenty thousand seat arenas, you know, uh, exciting. is not even can't even describe it. And and I'll, I'll wrap with this. I know I, that was a, a very long answer to no, a very no. short question, but that I've I've oftentimes thought about this. That during the years I toured with Frank Sinatra, I turned down more sitcoms than most comedians get offered in a lifetime, more opportunities for shows, because I knew I was. It was an end of an era, and I was touring with this wonderful human being who was good to me, you know, and I just didn't want it to end. You know, that, and I was also at the same time playing golf on a golf tour called the Celebrity Players Tour. It was basketball, baseball, football, hockey, tennis, and show business people that were 10 handicap or below. So it was Johnny Bench, Mike Schmidt, Mario Lemieux, John Elway, Dan Marino, Michael Jordan. We had 42 Hall of Famers. And, and uh, we played 12 cities a year, and you were paid for it. Rick Roden won over $2 million on our tour. So I'm sitting up saying, if you told me when I was a little boy growing up that one day you would get into inside of an arena and <laughs> you would be competing with the greatest athletes who ever lived in your lifetime, uh, I would say that's impossible. You know, I've always been a sports fan and always been athletic, but not at that level. I'd say that's impossible, but I did. I was competing with the greatest athletes of my time. And if you also said when I was a little boy shining shoes in the bars in Harvey, Illinois, and Sinatra was on the jukebox, you'd say that one day you're going to fly all over the world and grace the same stage as Frank Sinatra. I'd say that's impossible. But I was doing both. And Christopher Morley, the author, once said, success is living the life you want. And that's exactly what I was doing. And I'm writing a book about all of that now. There. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Love it. I could. That's a great strike. I could listen to that all day. Um, now, let's go back to Harvey. You, you talk about, I mean, your story shows that nothing is impossible. Uh, tar, Harvey is a, is a rough area. You had to do all kinds of crazy jobs. And during this time, Tom, are you sitting there dreaming about becoming a stand-up com- comedian or... Uh, was that a goal of yours, or were you just trying to get by? Just trying to get by. I had no intention of ever going in show business. I never thought I'd be in show business. I, I, it was the furthest thing from my mind. I never had any inclination at all. What happened was when I came out of the service, I was you know, married. I had three kids. I was wandering aimlessly. I was you know, um, working. I worked on um, loading docks for Jones Motor. I was a teamster, and then I dropped my card, and I, I became management. and was a foreman. Uh, of the 48 guys that I used to work with. I, I was a photographer. I was a bartender, always at part-time. I, um, I was a private detective for Policy Detective Agency. Um, I, I went from one job to another. I sold life insurance for Columbus Mutual Life Insurance. But I joined a civic group called the JCs, and they were young men of action in years 18 to 30, ages 18 to 36 at that time. And they taught you um, how to leadership programs, by how to serve on a committee, how to chair a committee, uh, and so forth and so on, and how to make the community a better place to live by working on the problems of that community. And uh, it was really a great organization at the time. 
And one of the problems facing our community as it is today were drugs and our youth. And so I wrote a drug education program teaching grade school children the ills of drug abuse with humor. It's a concept I had to get the kids laughing, play records, and then once you got them relaxed, then plant the seeds of some of the problems that our community was facing. Helping me with that project was a young black man named Tim Reed. He just joined the chapter. And, uh, you know, he, uh, when, he, when he came to me and he said, I'd like to help you with that project, when I proposed the project to the general membership, he came up afterwards and said, I'm a new member. It's my first day. I'd like to work with you. I said, gee, I already got a guy. And, <laughs> and, and I had a friend named John DeBoer. Yeah. And as it turns out, the next day, John DeBoer called me and said, I can't do that. I got a new job. And I said, gee, what was that black guy's name? Oh, yeah, Tim Reed. And I called him, and we worked on the project. And the program became very successful. Now, was uh, Tim Reed thinking about being an actor or a comedian? Not at all. Not, not, not that at, at all. all. Nothing. He was working for E.I. DuPont. Uh, he, he graduated from Norfolk State College, and um, E.I. DuPont recruited him as a marketing rep in, into um, Chicago. And he moved near me, you know, in Harvey area, you know. And, and joined the he saw an ad in the paper about the JCs. I want to go back behind this and say to you, at that time, guys, I was praying almost every day, saying, God, what am I supposed to be doing? This can't be what I'm supposed to be doing. I'd be in a bar at 2 o'clock in the morning with the guys drinking beer and saying, what the hell am I doing? Yeah. I, I, every job I went to, I did fairly well, but I, wasn't full, I didn't have that feeling of fulfillment. So I started praying. I said, God... What is it I'm supposed to be doing? I, I don't know. Show me. You know. Anyhow, now working through the JCs, this program with the drug education program became very successful. JCs used it in 50 states and in 22 foreign countries through their publications, you know, through learning from us how to teach drug education at an elementary school level. They weren't teaching it in colleges or high schools at that time, let alone elementary school level. So... Uh, when we start doing it, about eight months in the program, we're really very successful. And one day, a little eighth-grade girl walked out of the classroom, and she said, you guys are funny. You ought to become a comedy team. Huh. And, and that's the truth. And, and talk about divine intervention. A couple of days later, Tim and I were talking, and we were joking around, and he said, you thinking about what that little girl said? And I said, yeah. He said, would you do that? I said, I, I, yeah, I, would. I don't know what to do, but yeah. It, it, it. So we start writing what we thought was material. You know, there were no comedy clubs in America in those days. Hmm. So we started writing and drove his ex-wife crazy because every five minutes we'd run in the kitchen and say, is this funny? Do you think that's funny? You know, finally one day she said, you, I won't let you in here anymore, Tom. You've got to get out of here and go do this somewhere. You guys are driving me crazy. So we went to a little jazz club on the south side of Chicago and asked the owner, when the jazz group takes a break, could we get up and do a few minutes? And he said, sure, it sounds interesting, a black and a white guy. Gee, I'd never seen that before, you know. So we had never been on stage. It's called the Party Mart Supper Club on the south side of Chicago. So we, we went in, and the band took a break. I said, how do you want me to introduce you? We were in the kitchen like you always are in, in, in show business. Everybody thinks you get this beautiful dressing room. We're usually walking through a kitchen somewhere. And <clears throat> we said, you know, he said, how do you want me to introduce you? We said, how about a... Reed and Dreesen, and he said, you know, Rude and Dresco, and I said, no, just say Tim and, say Tim and Tom, you know. So he, he went out there and introduced us. We went up on stage. We had about 15 minutes. We did it in maybe seven minutes flat. We just would not stop talking. We, we didn't want to forget our lines. You know, hi, we're the comedy Tim and Tom. He's Tim, I'm Tom. You know, we're, doing? we're just babbling, you know, and fast as we could go. In fact, one guy hollered out, slow down, I can't hear you. And I said, oh, sir, please don't heckle us. This is our first time. <laughs> <laughs> And anyhow, 
we came off stage and got the owner in a corner and said, how do we do, how do we do, what do you think, how do we do? And he said, I don't know how you did because you didn't slow down enough mm-hmm. for me to laugh. Uh-huh. Come back tomorrow and slow down. And we did that, got a laugh that night, got a couple laughs, and, and I knew that moment when we got that laugh, it was like an epiphany, like the dark clouds opening up in a B-movie and, and the sun burst. I, my whole being, whole being went, yes. Yeah. Yes, this is what I want to do. Yes, and 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 uh, and I'm, I couldn't sleep that whole night. It was a, a, a Friday night. I couldn't sleep. I, I got up in the morning and went to Ascension Church in Harvey, and I got down on my knees and I prayed. I said, God, I now know what I want to do. There was no service. It was just an empty church. I said, God, I now know what I want to do. Oh, please, God, if you let me make my living as a stand-up comedian, I'll never ask for anything else. I'll do charity work. I promise I'll give back. I'm doing all those promises, mm-hmm. you know. Uh-huh. And, and, uh, and, and, and today, all my dreams have come true. Now, do you think that uh, you could teach somebody how to be funny? Do you think it's just something you're born with and you have to discover along the way? I mean, where does it come from, you think? You know, the, the funniest person that I ever knew, Tom, was, he's, was he's, not a performer. Is right here. No, he's not in this room. <laughs> the funniest person that I ever knew was my mother. My mother was funny. And, uh, you know, she knew how to, to make the family laugh and mm. me laugh, but she never performed professionally. The, the people that were funny were people in the neighborhood that I would just do funny things that were as funny as folks that you'd see on TV. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I mean, you know, you listed all these jobs you had along the way, Tom. That gave you a real variety of life to look at, and probably a lot of your stuff comes from truth, right? It does, yes. So <clears throat> did you have to cultivate that funny in you, or, did you, or, or were you always uh, sort of a funny kid along the way? Like your mom, I always knew how to make people laugh, and I and by the way, I truly enjoyed making people laugh when I was in the service and and you know on the streets and all those other things. But I can teach you a lot of things, and I do. I teach comedians at universities sometimes. I also hold seminars uh, called the Joy of Stand Up Comedy and how to get there. I'm a motivational speaker aside from being a stand up comedian, and I do that for for um, uh, corporate America. But I, I design a program specifically for stand-up comedians where I motivate them. You know, I talk about four subjects, perception, visualization, self-talk, and develop a sense of humor. And, um, and, and, and I elaborate on those four topics. But I can teach you a lot. I can't teach you timing. You either have it or you don't. And when you even try to describe timing, it's hard to describe it. I can visually do an idea for you for timing. You, you either have it or you don't. Now, when you first start out, I knew a lot of people in the bars, and Richard Pryor and I used to talk about this. There's guys back in those bars back home, funny as you, but they can't get up in front of an audience and be that same conversational person that you are in a bar. You know. And, and the other thing is telling jokes is one thing, memorizing jokes from joke books, but original material is another thing. You know, and the Tonight Show, in order to do the Tonight Show, you had to come up with a new six minutes every time you did the Tonight Show. Johnny Carson didn't want two guys going to bar jokes. He wanted original monologues. And, and uh, you know, so you had to come up, keep coming up with new material that could make grandma and grandpa, mom and dad, and the kids laugh. You couldn't say damn or hell or anything like that, you know. So I did 61 appearances on the Tonight Show. So I was in a constant state of writing new and fresh material. That's the challenge. The other thing is, 
if I were to go do 25 minutes at the Laugh Factory in Chicago tonight or in, in, in L.A., get up and do 25 minutes, and there's uh, maybe 180, 200 people in the audience, and it went real well. Now, that same 25 minutes, the next day in front of Frank Sinatra, 20,000 people, the same material takes on a totally different dynamic. And I can't tell you before I go on stage what I'm going to do. I can't read my material. I, you have to read the audience. And now the, the, the laugh that you got last night, well, you went boom, boom, and got that laugh. Tonight you might go boom, pause, 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 boom. I, I can't write mm. that out before the show. You know what I'm saying? I can't write that out. I, when I get on stage, my instinct kicks in, and you start knowing when the pause. You, you never move on laughter when it's on its way up to its peak. And then it starts to slowly subside, slowly subside, slowly subside, and then you might make a move there. It's almost like if you were standing in front of a pond of water and you threw a rock high up in the air. The rock would go up in the air and then on its way down and on its way down and finally it would hit the pond. And when it hit the pond, it would ripple across the pond. Some nights... I'd never move on my laughter when it's on its way up, but some nights when it's just a little ways down, I would start moving on the next line. Some nights I wait till it gets almost all the way down. Some nights I let it hit the pond and I move on the next line, or some nights I let it hit the pond and go all the way across, and you're pausing, pausing, and boom, you're good. I can't tell you how to do that. You know, I just, my, the, the, the trained comedian just knows how to do that. And, and, and some don't. Some, I've seen some technically that just keep punching away with the material and don't know that that laugh could have got a lot bigger laugh uh, and the next joke would have gotten a lot greater setup. It, it's an instinct that you can't teach. Uh, you, know, you either have it or you don't. We are visiting with the one and only Tom Dreesen, a show business legend, comedian, comedic actor, and a really, really good guy. And very generous with his time, and he does a lot of charitable ventures. And uh, couldn't say enough good things about Tom, and very interesting to listen to. We're going to continue now. And, and, and Tom, the question that I have, because I find stand-up comedy fascinating, because I don't know that there is a more difficult job, I don't know about in the world, but definitely in show business, because you're up there and you're alone, and it's inevitable. It doesn't matter who you are. If you're Richard Pryor, if you're Tom Dreesen, if you're Jerry Seinfeld, you're going to have nights where it just doesn't work. How did you deal with that when you went back to the hotel room and you had bombed or done you know, not as well as you thought you were going to? Well, you usually slept well because you sobbed yourself to sleep. You know? <laughs> yes. Yeah. You know, the, 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 in the early days when you, you bomb, and, and one, one night I was on Phil Donahue's show with about five uh, other comedians, and a woman said, I have a question. Did you guys ever bomb? And I said, ma'am, we trained in bombing. <laughs> <laughs> but when you're new, when you're a new comedian, and, and, you, and that set bombs, you know, you are, you, are so depressed because you think they're the judge and the jury. You know what I mean? You say, oh, my God, uh, you know, I'm not right for this business. That stuff didn't work. And it might just be that it's a small crowd and not a good crowd. Um, you know, in the early days, it's really tough to get that confidence going that you're a funny guy. But the first time you have that set that you really score, you dwell on that. You know now that this material works. You know now that you've got a strong five minutes there that it will work. So 
what happens is you might have a bad crowd that night. Or you know, uh, Al Jolson once said, "There's no such thing as a bad crowd; only a bad performer." Al Jolson is full of it. I met a whole lot of bad crowds. <laughs> <laughs> hey, who do you think is who was? Would you consider uh, one of the funniest people in the world? I mean, just that you've paid attention to your mother or whoever it was that said your mother and, <laughs> yeah. and the reason and i'm being i'm not being facetious <laughs> sure sure the funniest person in the world is the one who makes you laugh yeah Comedy's yeah subjective comedy so subjective you know somebody will say to me you know i i love richard Pryor, but i didn't like uh, eddie murphy or i you know whatever you know it's subjective it isn't who a comedian is it's who you are you know some people just Strike your funny bone, you know. The funniest person in the world is the one who makes you laugh. I had cousins. I had people. I, I, you know, my biological father was as funny as guy as you'd ever meet in your life. Uh, I mean, that, that those influence. So that's, you know, it just it's just so subjective as to who the funniest person is. Uh, you know, you you um, let me let me give you an example of what it was like to open up for Frank Sinatra. I'll do this say with Howard. It's five minutes before the show. There's 20,000 people in the arena, and they're not in front of you. It's not proscenium. You're in the round. So you're in a big arena, you know, like, like the uh, United Center or something, yeah. or something like that. And there's 20,000 people, and you've got to go out in the center of them, and they're behind you. They're on the side of you and in front of you. And it's five minutes before the show, and I say to you, Howard, uh, there's 20,000 people out there. I want you to go out there, and for the next 45 minutes, I want you to get in the center of that stage and hold their attention with your words. Oh, one more thing, Howard. I want you to hold their attention, but I want you to make them laugh for 45 minutes, Howard. Oh, no, one more thing, Howard. I want you to hold their attention and make them laugh, but I want you to make them laugh when you want them to laugh. I want you uh -huh. to pull the strings on the emotions of 20,000 people. No props, no tricks, no charts, no special arrangement, no orchestra, nothing. Just you and 20,000 people. And one more thing, Howard, not one of them came to see you. Yeah. <laughs> well, the first thing I would do, you have to look good. Uh, as I'm putting my suit on, I would put on a pair of Depends. Uh, <laughs> I can tell you that because I couldn't think of anything uh, more scary. And, and when I went out, when I would go out on stage, um, I would think as a stand-up, you've got to get off to a good start. So you've got to you got to come out of the gate, out of the box, ready to go. But I would be thinking, and this is probably something you have to get out of your head, is that I need to make Frank laugh. Is that yeah. true? Yeah, well, he, 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 that's why I stayed with him all those years. He wanted a comedian at that time. He had had Pat Henry for years, and Pat did the same act for 12 years. And he, he knew, because I had done so many Tonight Shows, that I could keep coming up with new material. He wanted a younger comedian, and he wanted one that could keep coming up with different material because we returned to the same cities all the time. And he would stand in the wings, and he would always say to me, I like your new material tonight, or, or I like that piece that you did there, uh, or something. He would be complimentary. You know, uh, uh, you know so it, it, it wasn't hard to please him. He loved to laugh. He, he had a good laugh. But... The only way you could displease him is if you weren't punctual, you weren't on time, and you weren't prepared. And, and he was always on time. One thing about Frank Sinatra you had to learn, he, that if he said wheels up on the plane at 9 o'clock and you showed up at 9.01, you'd be watching that plane go down the runway. <laughs> now, now, Tom, was he really partying a lot as, as much as we have read or, or heard talk of? I mean, what was that like, just trying to keep pace? The answer to that question is no. He was partying more than you ever read. <laughs> <laughs> he, 
he, he never went to bed till the sun came up. Wow. Uh, you know, it, whether we were on the road or off the road, he was nocturnal. So he'd sit up all night long. He used to, uh, on his compound, he used to paint into the wee hours of the morning. Those paintings still exist. But he would oftentimes come and get me in, uh, when I was staying down by his house and his compound and say, let's take a ride, Tommy. We'd ride around till dawn in the desert and um, he'd share stories with me. And especially as he got older, he got a little more melancholy, you know, and, and would tell me about his childhood and everything. Uh, but then, you know, in the day, yeah, Frank would, you know, after, after our shows, he liked to hang out. And he wanted you to hang with him, you know, and they were, that was fun for about 10 years. But after a while, you, you know, <laughs> one of the hardest times I made him laugh, it was we were in Las Vegas. We had been all over the country doing one-nighters, and we flew into Vegas to open at the Desert Inn, and we did two shows that night. And now it's 4.30 in the morning, and he's going strong, and I want to go to bed. I'm tired. And there's a couple other guys sitting there talking, and they're telling stories. And at 4.30, I get up, and I start to go. He said, hey, where are you going? I said, I'm going to bed. He said, what for? I said, i got to get up early in the morning and go to the cemetery and visit those guys. He said, what guys? I said, all those guys who died trying to stay up with you every day. <laughs> <laughs> he thought that was so funny. You know, uh, this is when you really know you're a star when I say, Tom, not, uh, hey, you want to come over to my house tonight and hang out? Uh, Tom, do you want to come over to my compound? That word <laughs> is special. When you've got a compound, you've made it. If you ever been there, I have to tell you, it was. From, I'm a kid from Harvey, Illinois. I lived in a shack. We had eight kids in our family. Five of us slept in one bed at one time. It was a rat-infested, roach-infested shack. Um, we had no bathtub and no shower and no hot water. Wow. I had holes in my shoes as big around as a coffee cup my whole childhood. You know, a ragged. I was a rat-infested shack. Like I said, we. You know, I had raggedy clothes, hand-me-downs. Um, you know, I had shine shoes in taverns, set pins in bowling alleys, caddied in the summertime, sold newspapers on the corner to feed my brothers and sisters. And now I'm going down to Frank Sinatra's compound. And there's a big security gate there. They let you in. You go inside. There's a big main house. And then there's uh, swimming pools and tennis courts. And, you know, he's got, he had one little uh, house that had nothing but electric trains in it, $2 million worth of electric trains. Every train that was ever made in the world was slotted along the wall and he had a big table in the middle where he could operate these trains like six or seven trains going from the east coast to the west coast and there was a place where you can get a massage on the property um you can get haircuts massage women get their hair done the, you know on the outer perimeters were all these bungalows they were called new york new york strangers in a night tender trap my way named after songs and when you stayed down there and he had house guests in one bungalow would be Gregory Peck and his wife, Veronique, and, Veronique, and then there was another, uh, Jack um, Lemon and his wife, Felicia, um, uh, Kirk Douglas and his wife, Anne, um, Sidney Portier and his wife, Joanne, Clint Eastwood, and whoever he was dating at the time. I mean, <laughs> this was Angie Dickinson, you know, uh, Robert Wagner, Joe St. John. You know, and now me, I'm a little boy from Harvey. These are people I saw in the movies. Sure. You know, and Harvey. And now I'm at the house, the first time I went there, as years went by, it became really just second nature. But when I first go down, I'm in the, I'm standing in a corner watching all these people, pinching myself, saying, "Oh my God, look over there, look who's there, and look who's there," and then you know, uh, and and they make you all feel at home. They, none of them were pretentious. You know, the irony of that story that I just told you through the years, Gregory Peck would say to me, "Tommy, tell me about stand-up comedy." Gosh, well, how can you get up there? I, or Gregory, or Kirk Douglas, who used to ask me because his son wanted to be a stand-up. But they they were so established 
they didn't need to be pretentious like the, the Hollywood stars we have out today who, who like I say, you know, two sitcoms, and, and uh, they want you to get out of their way, and they ask the, uh, you know, fans, please don't bother me, I'm trying to eat, you know, that kind of crap. Yeah. <laughs> but these were established, incredible stars that, that were more interested in you than, than and, and, and I wanted to ask them 18 million questions, you know. And eventually I got around to doing that, asking Gregory Peck about acting and those kind of things. But only only were late at night when, when you know, when I, it didn't look like I was, you know, being a pest, you know, sure. or being a fan. You know. Yeah, Tom, um, you've been generous with your time. You've got to get your iPhone fixed. But I want to ask you, I want to ask you one last thing. When you, uh, you do motivational speaking, so it's to corporate people. Maybe you speak to children sometimes to give them hope that might might have come out of a situation like you did in Harvey. Um, what's a message that you give people to motivate them? First of all, I think you have to be self-motivated, but 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 what's your message? Well, <clears throat> deep, so many ways I want to I, I, I go about this, but first of all, you are not a victim. You have never been a victim. You're a victor. You know, and I, I'll explain. I say, um, at the University of Illinois a while back, I was talking to some students, and it was, that was when this kid was um, stayed in his family's home until he was 32 years old. And uh, remember, they took a court order to get him out of the house. He was, <laughs> and I said to the kids, how long should you live with your parents? And one boy said, oh, 60 years, 70 years. And I, and I laughed, and I said, why? He said, and, and he said, because we didn't ask to be here. You know, and a lot of the students agreed with that. I said, you agree with that? You didn't ask. Well, of course, we didn't ask to be here. And I said, I don't want to give you a biology lesson, but when the male and the female make love, from the male comes five million seeds. Did you know that? <laughs> Two and a half million die instantly. The other millions die along the way. And soon there's only 100,000 seeds. Then there's 50,000. There's 100 seeds left. Now there's only 10. There's only five seeds left. Four, three, two, one, you. And I point at him, I go, oh. you, 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 don't ever tell me you didn't ask to be here. Bullshit, you fought to be here. <laughs> yes. you know, yes. I'm in a room full of winners. Applaud yourselves. And they all applaud themselves. I said, you were born a winner. And that's the truth. You have to find that, you know, where you excel at best. But you were born a winner. Life is a gift. It's a great gift. You know, I talked to him about um, that, that kind of thing that, that, you know, this planet's been here billions of years. Did you know that? Ten billion years. And before you were born, and it'll be here 10 billion after you die, that the earth is moving closer to the sun, and one day the sun will destroy this planet, and it will look not unlike Mars looks right now. So, but, so you think about this. The planet was here 10 billion years before you were born, and it'll be here 10 billion after you die. That means your lifetime in this planet is a blink of an eye, a speck of sand. Boom. Don't waste that blink of an eye, that speck of a sand, this great gift that, this, that you've been given. You know, if you're not religious, then call it what you want. But, you know, this is a God-given gift, you know, this gift of life. You know, every, every day wake up and say, you know, what a celebration, what a wonderful day this is. What things can I do to change others' lives? What can, can others do to change my life, you know? And then, then the, the other last thing, I, sometimes I tell them, look, there's a great Hindu proverb that says, there's nothing noble about being superior to another man. True nobility lies in being superior to your former self. Am I a better yeah. friend than I was last year? Am I a better son than I was last year? Am I a better, a, a better father than I was last year? Am I a better comedian than I was last year? Your only competition all your life is your former self. 
and most of us throw ourselves in a competition. I got to be better than Howard. Gee, Howard's doing this, and Howard did. You know, you're, that's your only competition is your former self, is your, your personal growth. You know, I mean, um, there's a lot of other things I say to them that, but that's the kind of stuff I say to them. Well, well Tom, it's it's terrific. I mean, and another thing about you is that you're you're giving, and uh, for you to give us this opportunity to hear a lot about who Tom Dreesen is. Uh, has filled in a lot of gaps that people, I'm sure, didn't know about who you are. We know you, we know a lot about your history, but it helps to round out everything about the individual. Well, I, I know this sounds cliche, and, and, and I know some people listening will say, oh, he's full of it. But I never really ever focused on being rich or famous. I never really thought much. What I really did want to do was influence people. I, I just thought, what a great thing if you could just make people feel better about themselves and also help people to go beyond their dreams and, and, and achieve things they didn't think were possible in their lifetime. If I can help you do that, you know, um, I, 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 I'll do one last thing. When Tim Reed and I toured around the nation, we did, um, in 1969 to 75, the Vietnam War was raging. I had just gotten out of the service. Um, there were there were uh, riots, race riots all over America. In the middle of all this, we were trying to make people laugh. We weren't preaching. We were just trying to make people laugh. But so many times after we, we did 11 prisons in one year, we did colleges, high schools, wherever there was racial tension, we would go make people laugh. We didn't preach to them. We were just trying to make them laugh. I can't tell you the times that a young black kid would come up to us or a young white kid and say, gee, I've got a white friend. The black kid said, I've got a white friend I'd like to reach out to, but if I do, the, the brothers are going to wear me out. But watching you and Tim today, having so much fun, I'm going to reach out to my white friend. A white kid would come and say, gee, I've got a black friend. And, and if, I, if I try to make friends with them, the white guys are going to give me the business. But watching you and Tim today, that, that made me, I'm going to reach out to my black friend. I would rather have that being on my tombstone than, than any uh, Grammy, Emmy, you know, or those guys. That, that's what I meant, meant about trying to influence. I would hope that my life is helping people better themselves. That would make me feel good. Um, last thing, Tom, you said you were the first black and white comedy team with you and Tim Reed, and the last, you said. Uh, I just wanted to correct you. There is Steve and I. <laughs> Steve and I, uh, we've we've got a little act here we're working on. It's not it's but, not going great, but if we get good guests like you, it might go somewhere. As long as I can get top billing, I'm fine with it. Well, that's not going to happen. That, that's the beginning of the end of that comedy team, right? <laughs> yes, that's exactly right. Tom, thank you very much for your time. And you talked about wanting to influence people. When you talked about motivation and how everybody is special and be better than your former self, that's going to stick with me the rest of my yeah, life. Those were indeed. words of wisdom that really resonate with me and I think with everybody else. And we thank you very you much. All right. Thanks, I Tom. I appreciate it, guys. Steve, Howard, it's so, so great to talk to you. It's all right, a pleasure. Tom, great to talk to okay. you. It's our honor. See you guys soon. All righty. The great Tom Breeson. That was fun, Steve. It really was. And now I understand uh, more about you. Believe uh, it or what, not. what did you find out? That you know, you tell you, you say something that's funny, and it's like that ripple that goes out over the ocean. Yes. You know, you say it, and then you know, four weeks later, you laugh at it, and so it's okay. <laughs> I feel okay about that now. I don't feel you know like it's my fault or I'm not you know good enough or. No, I'm, I'm that rock 
that he was telling, but it goes up in the air and then it hits the water. There's a ripple, but I'm the rock that just keeps going, keeps going down to the bottom. Did you, did you know? I don't. Was it me or could you hear? Could you hear some of the construction while we were talking? Yeah. Well, we didn't tell everybody we're coming from a dentist office, and you're getting a filling right now. No, that, nobody's no, ever well, done what's that. So, what's so funny is that it's library quiet now. Yes. <laughs> And when he was talking, it was and you know what, hammers he, and saws, and, and everything. you know what he thought? He what? thought it was his iPhone. <laughs> yeah, he he's, thought, well, they're working on my iPhone. He's calling the guy right now, saying, I, "I'm getting like drilling noise yes, in my iPhone yes, now. You, yes. You're supposed to fix it. I was up till 3 a.m. <laughs> yeah. What in the hell is going on? This thing on? still doesn't work. Yeah. Um, well, this was fun. Um, when we get a break, uh, yeah. which we will get a break, I'd like you to have you over to my compound. And uh, anytime you want. Yeah, to see your compound fracture. That's about as close as you'll get to something. <laughs> it's got the word compound associated with it. Hey, uh, if you like Back to You with Howard and Steve, then be sure to check out some of the other programs on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Like, let me page down here because I've got a special one I want to read. And Friends, an Opie show. And Friends is about all those conversations that real friends have. Kimmy, Tommy, Timmy, no, no Timmy, uh, Samuel, who is uh, right in here. Uh, they discuss paranormal activity, history, blatant narcissism, and more. <laughs> so come meet some of your new best friends with and friends. And it sounds very interesting to me, and I'm going to give them a listen. Um, that show and this show is an Opie show and is available only on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. Great talk radio isn't dead. It just moved to a better place, radiomisfits.com. How'd I do? I was okay. Eh, it was okay. Uh, <laughs> any uh, words of wisdom? Uh, uh, no. We started off, we were going to talk about some of those idioms. We can do that next time. We're out Because there's a whole bunch of we them. We just did a whole show. Because you mentioned something earlier and I said every shut eyes not asleep. I got about five or six more of them. <clears throat> yeah, we just, but we can just hold on to that because I think that's fascinating we just did too. A, we're done. This is okay. over now. I got to read some more. That's why I get a bigger check than you do. <laughs> you get a you get a check. <laughs> that's why I get top billing, and you, that's why I got the TV camera. You on got me. a check. Man's got yeah. a logo behind him. Yeah. I don't know why it's yeah. back there. It's, it's so just cool. Scenery got good lighting. It's because I called and I asked for it. I've got like an old. Uh, Tom Dreesen phone beside me and somebody's bag with lunch from five days ago sitting beside me. Yes. That's it. Everybody's going to stay there. What that is way. going on Special here? Special thanks to today's engineer, Sam Greenberg, executive producer, Tony Lasano with opishows.com. Opi is hippo backwards. Opishows.com. Distributed by Ed Silha with Radio Misfits. Great talk radio. It still says ready. Great talk ready isn't dead. It just moved to a better place. Radiomisfits.com. Do you feel better about how these things are going now? I feel really well because we didn't prepare this time. So we just kind of talked like we talked on the phone, like Tony's been trying to get us to do. You were all skittish, like I didn't get a text from him. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? You know what to do. I never was talk. like that. You are so You're misleading skittish. to the public. You're skittish. You are painting, I don't know what Have kind you listened of to picture one of you're yet? painting. No, no, of course not. <laughs> well, I hope other people do. I, I know they are because I get a lot of good feedback. Good. Actually, I, I do. do. Too. I do, too. And, uh, you know, it's a different way of performing for us. I mean, we are very structured people in terms of, look, I'd go on the air. Any weather person you see on a newscast is getting, if he's lucky, 
two and a half minutes, three minutes, most nights, most places. And this is open forum, free flowing kind it's of thing. It's open mic night. Oh, every time. But you know what? Yeah. There is a time to say good night or goodbye. <laughs> and it's here. The great facilitator. I'll see you. That's back to you. Goodbye. Thanks for listening. Bye. We said bye. Come on. Okay, see ya. This is this bit is getting old. It's even with even to me. We're done. The proceeding was a presentation of Opi Productions. Find our other great shows wherever you find podcasts, including opishows.com. Thank you. This has been a presentation of Old Pie Productions. Tony, can you shut up? This is Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. On this week's Minutia Men with Rick and Dave. Litigation Dodgeball. <laughs> Cathedral Putt-Putt. Nazi Amusement Park. <laughs> Warren G. Harding. Celebrity Potpourri with Rick and Mary Lou Henner. And we interview one of the great celebrity rock and roll photographers, Mick Rock. All that in unlimited tangents on this week's Minutia Men. The Tony Lasano Podcast and Opie Production on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. RadioMisfits.com.